The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org.
Praise God. Good morning, Central. How are you today? I'm doing good. I mean, I'm I'm excited. I get to see, you know, I come to church most Sundays and so forth, and then whenever I come to a Sunday and I see my name's the next one up next week, I start getting excited. I start getting a little wound up, a little excited, and, and, and can't wait to get here and can't wait to get it going and get, and get it happening. But, you know, every, every time I try to do something a little different, I always talk about the Holy Spirit leads me to what I'm going to say, and, and it's no different today. I mean, but I'm going to go back in time just a little bit, just a couple of years, you know, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about my family and uh, talk about my kids. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, my kids now are, what, like 26 and 24 so I'm going to go back to whenever they were like three, four, five, kind of that. It's just a couple of years ago. You know, it wasn't long ago. But anyway, back in the day, you know, we um, there was lots of times that, you know, I'm a farmer, I'm self-employed. So there's lots of times that I had the kids. They went with me, okay? Or Karen had to go to school. She's a school teacher, and she'd go teach school, and I would stay home with them, okay, during the winter. Sometimes it was a little slow. So we, you know, it worked. We made it work. But Karen would always tell me, every single time, whether she was walking out the door or whether I was walking out the door with the kids, she would always tell me, don't forget to feed your kids today. And as I was walking out the door with them, I'd, yeah, like I'm going to forget to feed the kids. Why well, you think I am? Some kind of idiot or what, you know? And then she'd say, what'd you say? Oh, nothing, dear. Everything's good. I'll see you later. Love you. Any guys? Okay. All right. I'm glad I'm not the only one. But we would go and we'd have a blast. And I'd, we'd go to the farm. We'd be working. We'd be doing things like that. And, and I don't know why she always told me that. You know, I always got them fed. Might have been two or three in the afternoon before we finally got back around civilization to get it done. But we always got it done. You know, and also, you know, there's another, you know, <laughs> I kind of laugh. My daughter, Kaylee. You know, we we joke, we you know, we've all heard this term nowadays is hangry. Everybody heard this? Well, uh, she has a major case of it, all right? And maybe I inflicted it on her at a young age because I made her go. Anyway, if, if it's my fault, I, I'll take blame for it. But, you know, and another thing with my kids, if you, anybody's ever been to our house or been around it, you know, in the back of our house there was an addition put on it before we, before we moved in there, and it was a sunroom they built. With brick floor and all this, and I had a hot tub back there, and all these this type of stuff. And um, after we had kids, and they got to be a year or two old, and you know the house was covered with toys, the living room was covered, floor was covered with toys, our bedrooms were covered with toys, you know. And any man knows if you're walking through the house in the dark at night and bare feet, and you step on one of these little toys. I don't know if you can ever repent enough for the things that come out of your mouth at that point in time, you know, but you sure try to. So anyway, my wife, being the brilliant one that she is, and without a doubt, she is the brains around our outfit. I mean, I just kind of try to muddle through it and make it look good, you know. That's kind of where I go. But uh, she came up with the idea, said, so why don't we take that sunroom and turn it into a playroom? And I said, why? And she said, well, we're not really using it anyway. So I said, well, all right, whatever. So we get some soft flooring put in there, and all the toys and all the, and the TVs and the videos and all that got moved back to the, what we called the playroom. And still, even to this day, it's still called the playroom, even though there's not any toys left back there. But, you know, it was a perfect place. The kids could go back there. They could play. 
We could put videos in. You know, Kobe's here. He used to put the Blue Bear videos in. I mean, that was his favorite, you know. He called him Blue Bear. Blue Bear. I, want to, I want to watch Blue Bear. And if you didn't know what he was talking about, you'd get lost. But he's talking about the bear in the big blue house. Anybody ever seen that cartoon? Well, that was Kobe's favorite. And so I could put a Blue Bear video in, and I was good for about a half hour, an hour. I didn't have to worry about Kobe. But anyway, as we... As the kids were back there playing, and some of those days that I would be at home with them by myself, I'd be in the living room, and a lot of times at the kitchen table sitting there doing paperwork, doing, you know, some of the book work that you have to do with your business, and be sitting there all of a sudden something popping in my head. So, oh, I need to go take care of that. I need to go deal with that. And this did happen a couple of times. I got up, went out the front door, got in the pickup, down the road I went. And I get down the road and I get looking around. Ooh, crud. I just left the kids. I'd stop, turn around, go back to the house, gather the kids up, get them in the pickup. Only happened a couple of times, not many. Come on now. Everybody, somebody, surely somebody's guilty of this sometime. Nobody will raise their hand. Look, well, one in the back. All right. There's another one over here. Finally. I think Don talks about lying here in a little bit in his deal, so y'all better pay attention. So anyway, you know, but... But these were deals that, well, anyway, that's enough about my less than average parenting skills, I guess you could say. But as we get into kind of the meat of what I was going to talk about this past week to um, kind of prepare for it a little bit, I, don't, I kept trying to figure out where to get it from. And so I went back to the Gospels and I read some in them, listened a lot to all the Gospels again. And uh, something hit me really hard this time. I knew this is a fact, but it never, I never really hit me this hard. And that was Jesus, as he did all his travels and did all his talks, he was very bold in what he did and the way he said it, wasn't he? I mean, he never was like, okay, guys, let's gather around here. Well, you know, if you maybe ought to think about kind of doing it this way, you know, you'd be better off. Uh-uh. He wasn't anything about that. He was all about this is where the pavement hit, or this is where the rubber hits the road, and this is the way we're going. And this is bold. And this is the way it's going to be. And he used to, you know, and all the naysayers and all the, the religious leaders that came and tried to trap him and trick him into ways that he was saying things, he stood firm in the way that he, way that he taught the Word, in the way that he talked about God. You know, and it got me thinking that maybe there's sometimes that I'm, I wasn't quite that bold. You know, I get back in this, the, what I talked about with my kids, you know. Whenever they went with me, I had one job. That was to feed my kids. And sometimes I got distracted. I got it done, but I do it not on a timely manner. And what about the times that I got in the pickup and I left? I got distracted. I had one job to do, take care of my kids that day. And I got distracted. You know, and it makes me think, what about the disciples? Did they ever get distracted as we read through there? Yeah, I think they really kind of did. They did their best to follow him and to do what he said. But, you know, like take Judas, for example. Everybody says Judas is what? What is Judas? The traitor. That's what everyone said. That's his title. That's what he is. But, you know, really, I think Judas got distracted. What did he get distracted by? Money. He saw the shiny silver. He saw the money. And I'll take that money and give up Jesus. 
What about Peter? You know, we'd look at Peter and, and, you know, Peter said, I'll never leave you. I'll be right by your side, Jesus. I'll be, I'm here with you, dude. But didn't he get distracted too? What distracted him? Fear. Exactly. So, you know, we get distracted all the time. We saw it in the Bible. We see our, we see the disciples got distracted. But yet they repented. And so, I'm going to leave you with this, and I'm going to do something that's very bold here, because it's what Jesus did. He was very bold with this in the way that he teaches us. And so I'm going to leave you with something bold, and it's something that we're all going to say. Any man in this house, in this, in this room, say it to your wives. Say it to your kids every single day. Women, say it to your husbands. Say it to your kids. Say it to your significant others. I want you to simply say this. Don't forget to praise God today. It's that simple. Okay? Can we handle that? We're going to practice one time. One time, okay? On the count of three. One, two, three. Don't forget to praise God today. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you today, as always, I just praise you and thank you, Father, the awesome power that you have, the things that you give us. We ask that as we go forward, we do the work this week, that we do it in a way that's pleasing to you and that we have you in the foreground and you up front. And as we come to the time of communion, we say thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that you made. You didn't have to do it, but you did it, and you did it for us. You hung on that cross. You shed the blood. But on the third day, you gave us the most awesome gift. You rose again so that we could have ever, everlasting life, eternal life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1993, a little-known film came out of Austin called Dazed and Confused. It had a lot of, it had a budget of about seven million. Only made about eight million. Called it a flop. I am not in any way recommending the movie. I just want to say that right at the outset. But it had a ton of unknowns in it. Uh, Mila Jovovich was in it. Parker Posey, Ben Ben Affleck, Renee Zellweger, and a kid from Uvalde, Texas, named Matthew McConaughey. And the the director, a guy named uh, Richard Linklater, said this was meant to be a movie that was in response to the John Hughes movies of the 80s, uh, like Pink, uh, Pretty in Pink and all of those movies, Breakfast Club, that it was filled with angst that nothing ever worked out. Am I going to get to kiss the right boy? Or am I going to get to the win the team? You know, and it was always filled with something important. And he said, my days weren't like that. My days were lazy, and he said, my teen years weren't so tense and uptight. It was more with go with the flow. He said, that's how ours was. It was all about going with the flow. Fun fact, when this movie came out uh, for a public release, it did not come out on DVD, did not come out on VHS. It came out on Betamax and Laserdisc. Anybody under 40 just went, I have a clue what he's talking about. Uh, go look them up. They're quite hilarious. If you have them, who knows? They might be worth something. But there's this scene in the movie. Again, I cannot recommend the movie at all. It, uh, it's awful subject matter. But there's this one scene in there where Matthew McConaughey's character, 
is talking about this concept of go with the flow. You just got to go with the flow, man. He says, the older you get, the more rules they're going to try to get you to follow. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N, living. And then he threw the all right, all right, all right in there. And that's where it got famous. It's in this movie. wasn't even scripted, and it's become brilliant in, in, in Texas lore. Go with the flow. It's a mindset that's still alive today. But I'd like to caution you that in your darkest moments, you will need your best theology, your best thinking about God. Now, as a preacher, I could stand up here and say, go with the flow, man. It's just, just, it's all going to be good. Everything's okay. And it sounds good. And it's a super easy sell. Problem. It's not right. It's not correct. You need to go with what gets you closer to God. Yeah, there are tough days. And yeah, we just got to keep L-I-V-I-N, man. We just got to keep living. But it is living with purpose and knowing Him that matters. We're in this series, the Songs for the Journey, the Psalms of Ascent, this one's called Dazed and Confused. We're looking at 15 psalms from one, Psalm 120 to 134 that these Israelites sang or chanted. And, and they have been teaching us to set our eyes to Zion. When Israel sang them or chanted them, they were songs of purpose. And we're going to look at three of them today. So we're going to go fast through all three of them. But these three, I, I hope that you'll notice a, a common theme weaved through all three of them. They are, they are psalms of our theology. And they remind us of our thinking about God and something that will last. So we're going to be in Psalm 124, 129, and 130. I worked really hard to find the Dazed and Confused Van video you know, clip there. I thought that was pretty clever. And we're going to invite you, if you're able, to stand as we read God's Word together. Now, as you're standing, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation in the, in the reading, but we will reference the ESV and Holman Christian Standard later on in the, version, in the discussions as well. So join me in 124. If you're joining on the radio or online, welcome to Central Christian Church of Portalis. Psalm 124, what if the Lord had not been on our side? Let all Israel repeat, what if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us? They would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger. The waters would have engulfed us. A torrent would have overwhelmed us. Yes, the raging waters of their fury would have overwhelmed our very lives. Praise the Lord who did not let their teeth tear us apart. We escaped like a bird from a hunter's trap. The trap is broken and we are free. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now scroll down or flip over a page to 129 and 130. We'll do them back to back. From my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me. Let all Israel repeat this. From my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me, but they've never defeated me. My back is covered with cuts as a farmer had, as if a farmer had plowed long furrows. But the Lord is good. He has cut me free from the ropes of the ungodly. May all who hate Jerusalem be turned back in shameful defeat. May they be as useless as grass on a rooftop, turning yellow when only half grown, ignored by the harvester, despised by the minder. And may those who pass by refuse to give them this blessing. The Lord bless you 
We bless you in the Lord's name. And 130, from the depths of despair, O Lord, I'll call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord, pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I've put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. May we be encouraged by reading God's Word together. Have a seat. Thank you for being with us. Let's go back to 124 and start there. What if he didn't? What if he didn't? What if God didn't show up? What if he wasn't on our side? We spend a lot of time saying, well, God loves everybody. Well, what if he didn't? We go to John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. Yes, but if it's this bad out there and he loves the world, how bad would it be if he didn't love the world? Do we realize that? Do we ever stop to consider that if he didn't? You see... Part of this go-with-the-flow mindset is that this life is all there is. And if this life is all there is, we basically all have an average of about 78.6 years. All right? So, go at it. Go do it. Go get all you can. Minor problem. You can't take it with you. Go, well, Okay, then go experience all you can. Get every experience. Go places and be with different, lots of different people and experience it all. But Solomon will tell us in Ecclesiastes that all of that is vain. It's just going to be a waste of time. You see this go with the flow, just be a good person, just, it's okay. It doesn't give you anything to look forward to. It's all focused right here. But when David, who wrote Psalm 124, he informs us that God rescues us. All through two, verses 2 through 5, he is saying, we have no chance of rescue, we have no chance of survival without God. Now folks, that is theology that matters. That is lifelong theology. Thinking about, about God that matters is that He does the rescuing, not me. Heard a story about Muhammad Ali one time at the height of his career was flying somewhere. He was in the first class. Everybody was coming by and getting his autograph. And the, and the little flight attendant came up to him and said, uh, Mr. Ali, if you'd go ahead and buckle your seatbelt at this time, we were about to take off. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she leaned into him and said, Superman don't need no plane either. All right. <laughs> you see, a lot of us, we think, I don't need the help. I'm okay. It's going to be all right. Look, you need to understand, danger out there is real. Hell is real. Eternity matters. You don't have to believe it. You don't even have to agree with it. But you're not exempt from the consequences of that choice. Do you understand that? And that's not pretty, but you need to hear that. You can choose to not accept God, but you're not excused from those Choices or the consequences therein. You see, walking through my life without God, there's danger out there. Well, danger without God is destruction. But danger with God is witness. 
It is telling what he has done for me. I'd like to introduce to you a guy named Shabazz Bhatti. He's the minister of foreign affairs in Pakistan. He's the second in control. He's second only to the prime minister. And he's the highest ranking officer ever in Pakistan to declare that he was a Christian. He never backed down from his Christianity. He declared Jesus was the only hope. He did it publicly. In fact, in January of 2011, 2011, he recorded an on-air interview with their state-run TV that he clearly said, I stand for Jesus and I will not back down. In fact, he even says, this is a direct quote. I know the wording is wrong, but listen to this. He says it this way. I want to share that I believe in Jesus Christ. I know what is the meaning of the cross And I am following the cross. And two months after that interview, he was gunned down outside his mother's home. See, in Pakistan, they have an anti-Muslim blasphemy law. If you blaspheme the Muslim faith, it is uh, punishable by death. And the Pakistani Taliban assassinated him. You see, we think witness for God. I'm afraid sometimes in Western church we think witness for God is a, a cute slogan or a cute t-shirt or a tract or, or maybe it's even standing in front of a church and preaching. But witness is declaring the cross and the experience of rescue. I don't want you to just know about the cross. I want you to understand what the experience of rescue really is. You see, that's why Paul and Silas could sing while they were in prison after they'd been beaten. That's why Peter and all of those guys that after the, the crucifixion and resurrection, that they were so bold for Christ that these guys would threaten, we're going to kill you, and it didn't even faze them. It was because they had experienced the rescue of the cross. He even says in verse 7, we escaped the hunter's trap. How? How do you escape a hunter's trap? Somebody's got to come along and open that up for you. I don't know how you'll make a way, but I know you will. I don't know how you make a way, but I know you will. One of the things that I'm so excited about this, and then you just stick with me because we got a lot to get through, is I believe these three psalms together are a foreshadowing of the gospel. They are a, a Old Testament preview of the good news that is coming in Jesus. Now look real close at 124. It starts out, you're trapped in fear. You're trapped in guilt. What are we going to do if God wasn't on our side? But then there is rescue, and then there is hope. He says in verse 8, our help is from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You see, our saving is not by ourselves or go with the flow or just be good. We need a Savior. You need a Savior. You need a surrender. How good is He if He never did another thing for me? That's the good news of the gospel. Now jump down to Psalm 129, and the psalmist is crying out for help. The enemies are persecuting him, but he's not defeating. Anybody ever felt defeated? Anyone? Anybody ever felt like you're the only one that feels the way you feel? I think that's one of the enemy's greatest tools. It's isolation. It's, it's prey mentality. It's 
Get them separated from the herd. Get them thinking they're the only ones that feel the way. You're the only one that struggles the way you do. Everybody else in here has it all figured out. But you are the only one. You see, I think that's what the enemy tries to whisper in your ear. And the psalmist in 129 is saying, I'm hurt. I'm cut. The world has taken its toll on me. Yet God cut me free. Yet some still will sit there and say, but Don, can I really get free? That's good for all you church people, but you don't understand addiction. You don't understand what I'm dealing with. You don't understand how how broken I am. Can I really get free? If you are battling with that right now, I I believe we all need to reread verse 4 of 129, Psalm 129. Verse 4 says, but the Lord is good. He has cut me free from the ropes of the ungodly. Friends, it is time to break generational curses. It is time to break generational cords. Your past may have been bad, and I am not in any way trying to minimize what has happened to you. Your past may have been bad, but our God cuts cords. That's a good one right there. Our God breaks free. You've got to let Him know it, though. I read a story this week about two Vietnam veterans that went to the Vietnam Wall, the big black wall, and you've seen that, and they were there to look through the names and see some of their fallen comrades, and they found them, and you know the imagery where they're holding on the wall, and one guy looks to the other one, and he says, Have you ever forgiven those guys that held you captive those prisoners you know that you were a prisoner of war have you how did you deal with it have you ever dealt with it he said man i will never forgive them for what they did to me i will never forgive them for how they hurt me and the first guy says well it seems they still have you in prison then you see We've got to acknowledge what has hurt us. We've got to acknowledge the chains that are binding us and give them to God. He breaks those cords. And that's the good news of the gospel. This thing continues on into Psalm 130, and I want you to watch the sequence. There's guilt, and then there's forgiveness, and there's hope. But there's two phrases I want you to get. From the, it starts at 1.30, from the depths of despair. From the Latin, it would say, de profundus, okay? Um, what I did not understand about the Hebrew culture until later on in life, Israelites don't like the sea, all right? They're landlubbers, all right? They, they're nomads. They're desert people. They don't like the ocean. They don't like the sea. You know what's out there? Bad stuff. Bad stuff, that's where Leviathan lives, that's where danger. And when the psalmist says, from the depths of despair, an Israelite is going to hear and see that. There's another phrase in here. In mine it said, pay attention to my prayer. But many of you have uh, NIV, ESV, it'll say something like, be attentive, may your ears be attentive to the prayers that are made. Does it say something like that in yours? I did not realize this, but that is a direct quote of Second Chronicles 640 that Lily read for us earlier. You go, okay, Don, who cares? What's the big deal? That's when Solomon was blessing the temple. And he says in that, may, every, may your ears be attentive to every prayer that is made in this place. 
And I think we miss this through Western ears. But what God is, or what the psalmist is saying, he's saying to Israelites that are singing these songs on the way back to Jerusalem, when they say the phrase like the depths and ears be attentive, they're immediately seeing those things. He's speaking to their memory that we're not going to make it without God. We're going to drown. We are going to, we're not going to have a temple without God. You see, this is theology you and I need. He didn't call us to be uh, more religious. He didn't call us to a political action committee. He called us to follow me. Follow him. And the thing continues in verse 4. He says, you offer forgiveness. We have no hope if God remembers our sins. Did you hear that? We have no hope if he, if he really re- remembers. We have another song that our praise team sings. There's a line in there. My sins, they are many. Your mercy is more. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> My sins, they are many, 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 many. All right? And I don't want him remembering it. If he remembers, then I've got no hope. But you see, forgiveness is the ultimate motivator. You tell the alcoholic or the workaholic or the judgmentaholic or the thief or the porn addict or the angry person or the prostitute or the Pharisee that God gives forgiveness. And when they get that, oh, that's a game changer. If you've ever seen some of these uh, prison ministries where they baptize people in there and they come up and they're just shouting. They are still in prison, but they are no longer in chains. And it's such a freeing image. You see, suddenly no longer is God the taskmaster trying to catch me. I don't have a view of God that way. I see He's on my side. I see that I'm no longer a failure. That's the cycle of addiction right there. I messed up, so I go get a drink, and then I feel worthless, so I go get more drinks. It makes, makes me feel more worthless here. That's the cycle of addiction. And God's saying, I break free from that. In fact, he goes on in verse 7 and says, His redemption overflows. His presence. We used this slide last week. We talked about His presence overflows our life. Now, I want you to look at the sequence really close. I think it's the gospel all over. Look real close in 130. We sin. We're drowning in guilt. You hearing me? But he offers, he rescues. He gives us a clean slate. And I have hope. Redemption overflows. You are seeing, in my opinion, a precursor of Jesus. Throw up my hands. All that I have is a hallelujah. I have nothing fit for a king but my heart. What a beautiful thought and what a beautiful song. And I I just pray you're getting this today. That Jesus was there and he is being seen all throughout this. Now, I don't often do this, but I need you to hear this. And somebody needs, maybe it's online, maybe it's in the room. You need to hear this really clear. Hell is real. And we need a real theology about this world. We need a real good thinking about God for dark moments because danger is real and hell is real and eternity matters. We can't just go with the flow and hope we make it to 78.6 years. There has to be intentionality on our part. 
Well, Don, how do we deal with the go with the flow or the church of just be good? Isn't it just about being good, Don? How do we deal with that? Well, one way you could avoid the question. Just stay real surfacey. Hang out in John 3.16. Hang out in 1 Corinthians 13. Don't go too deep. Don't get too sold out. Uh, just go to church enough and do enough that Don sees you and maybe he can put in a good word. You know, I, you know what I'm saying? I just, just, just don't get crazy about it. I read this uh, quote this week from a guy named Vaudy Beecham. He's a humongous, like a 300-pound uh, African-American preacher. And he said this. Hell will be filled with people who didn't drink, didn't cuss, and may have been baptized. Why? Because not one of those things makes somebody a Christian. I'm going to say that again because I want you to hear this. Hell will be filled with people who didn't drink, didn't cuss, and may have even been baptized. Why? Because not one of those things makes somebody a Christian. Surrender to Jesus makes you a Christ follower. Giving him my heart, giving him leadership, setting my eyes to his presence, Zion, the presence of God. We need that, folks. We need a, a biblical uh, mindset. We need a good theology, and we need Bible, Bible literacy. We need to see it and know it in context. That's why I'm always saying a Bible believing and a Bible using church i want us to be that i live with a literacy coach okay she's telling you all the time what's the story about what's the meaning of the story how do you apply the story i'm hearing this stuff all the time and i'm like okay whatever but it really matters here too okay bible literacy we need to understand what the text says in context jesus loves you unconditionally what, uh, what franklin said earlier he loves you right where you are but he doesn't he loves you enough to not leave you there God loves us unconditionally, but relationship with God has conditions. There are conditions. I hear a lot of people say, God loves everybody in the world. That's John 3.16. I totally agree with it. Everybody is God's children. That's not true. That is not biblically literate. God's children. Jesus says, my brother and my sister are the ones that do the will of my father. That's who my brother and sister are. Not everybody is God's children. Everybody is God's creation. But not everybody is God's children. You see, being literate about the Bible is important. Like Mike said, I'm going to ask you, how many of you are liars? See what you did. Well, they're like, well, if I raise my hand, am I telling the truth? But if I don't, then I, you know, I, I got you in a loop right there. I would, I would like to venture a guess, and I would be willing to bet Every single one of us are in here are liars. And I will prove it in one statement. I have read the terms and conditions. Check. Exactly. I never read one of those things. I'm probably never going to read They probably own my first kid. I don't know. I, I have no idea. Okay? I'm never going to read those silly things. Because they're such fine print. And they're pages long, right? Do you realize Jesus never gave you fine print? He was very, very bold, and he said, Hey, you want to be on my team? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. No hidden agenda. It's going to hurt. It's going to be, people are going to hate you, he says. They're going to despise you. Don't worry. They despise me. You're going to have trouble in this world. Don't worry. I've overcome this world. Do you see? He doesn't have any fine print. He is truthful up front 
But our relationship with Him has conditions. And we need consistent learning of God's Word. Just because you grew up in Sunday school doesn't mean you know everything. Now, God's Word has not changed. You can say amen. But there are a lot of new versions, aren't there? There are a lot of new books out there and a lot of new things. We, we have changed. Culture has changed. We need to update all the time. Hey, if you were going to a surgeon and he said, I got some really good books from 1974. And, and I know how we did this surgery in 1974. I learned it. I'm, I'm good. How comfortable would you feel? Uh, no, thank you. I want the guy that knows <laughs> the newest stuff and the newest theology. I want the guy that knows the newest talents and the newest techniques. We need to be people that consistently learn and consistently grow. You see, these psalms of ascent, these were... These were Israelites singing these songs. They were declaring their theology that our God is good. He rescues. Our God is strong. He, he, he gets us out of traps. He is the God that delivers. Maybe you've never committed to Him. You say, well, I go to church. That's not what I ask. Maybe you've never really made Him Lord of your life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You have hope. You're stuck in guilt. You're stuck in sin. But He rescues and gives hope for the future. You can come to Him just as you are. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.